0: Hello and welcome to Working for the Word. My name is Andrew Case, and today is going to be a little different because I want to talk about something that's relevant to the difficult situation people all over the world find themselves in right now. Now this episode does talk about an issue of translation, but I hope it's an issue that encourages you at the end of the day. I want to begin by reading Romans 5, 3-5, which says, We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when we face battles, disappointments, or difficulties, we often tend to ask other believers to pray for their immediate end. So for instance, in the situation that we're all going through with this virus, which is scary for a lot of people, that may be what a lot of people are asking for. And might I suggest that that's because we often see the difficulties as greater evils than our own spiritual immaturity, that those difficulties are designed to help us grow out of Dietrich Bonhoeffer called suffering the badge of true discipleship, adding, If there is no element of asceticism in our lives, we shall find it hard to train for the service of Christ. Discomfort can be a friend, not a foe for those who truly want to grow. When Christians today encounter anything anywhere near a dark night of the soul Their counselors and pastors and friends feel compelled to fix it, to help suffering believers out of their trials. But other people throughout church history have thought otherwise. John of the Cross believed precisely the opposite. In his mind, we must allow God to take believers through some soul-crushing experience in order for them to mature. We do not fix these things, We learn from them and endure them. If we truly value humility as much as God clearly does, we won't reject the very tool God uses to create that humility, even when the remedy is so severe. At a time like this, it's, I think, wise and helpful, although counterintuitive, to remind ourselves that graveyards are full of indispensable ministers and indispensable leaders and indispensable missionaries and translation consultants. Now, why am I sharing all these things with you? Well, it's a preface to talking about the book of Lamentations, actually, because this is actually a time where this book is more relevant than ever. And I want to begin by reading Lamentations 3, and we'll get into the translation issue in a second. I want to start in Lamentations 3.21. It's a very famous passage that you probably have memorized. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Now, If you've read the rest of the book of Lamentations, you know that this passage comes in the middle of a lot of gloom and doom. A lot of horrific things have been described. Just shocking, horrible, horrible things describing the pain, the anguish of Jerusalem going into exile, being destroyed, being sieged, all of these things that... um, are very vividly described by Jeremiah in a very tight and artistic poetry. The poetry in Lamentations is some of the most beautiful and elevated poetry in the whole Bible. And it's also some of the most structured poetry. The book of Lamentations is composed of five chapters. Each chapter is an acrostic following the Hebrew alphabet except for chapter 5. But chapter 5 does have 22 verses that mirrors the other chapters in the count of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So it's very, very structured. And chapter 3 is different because it is the center of the book. So if you count 5... Three is the center, and what happened with three is the author tripled the number of lines so that you have this kind of structure where there's A, 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 and then B, 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 C, 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 following the Hebrew alphabet like that. And so there are 66 verses in that chapter. So if you want to see the center of the whole book, or what we might call the heart of the book, get to the heart of the matter of that book, you could find it in terms of structure right around verse 33. When we talk about Hebrew writing and composition, especially poetry, we often talk about what are called chiastic structures. So it's kind of like a a hamburger where you have patties on each the top and on the bottom and then you might have condiments uh, smeared on the top and on the bottom and then you have the meat in the middle in the center so there's kind of this mirror like structure with one central thing Um, so the Bible is often using this structure in different ways and sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. In this case, the whole book is a chiastic structure where you have this special number of chapters, five chapters that lends itself to a chiastic structure that leaves two chapters on each side, one in the middle. The one in the middle is the big one, and uh, nice and long, and like the thing in the middle that's highlighted for you to chew on, to really get down deep and meditate on, and see what what is it that the author has put there for you to find that may be extra important. Just meditating on the exquisite structure alone of the book can be informative to us, can be instructive, because it shows that in the midst of horrible anguish and sorrow, the author took the time to carefully structure something of beauty, instead of just haphazardly throwing out random thoughts, as most people would be tempted to do in the midst of excruciating pain. And so, the question also arises, why an acrostic? Uh, There's the chiastic structure, but then also these acrostics throughout the book, and There's a lot of theories that have been suggested over the years, Um, and there's several writers who have proposed that this structure communicates that everything from A to Z has been expressed. In other words, everything has finally been dealt with or mourned over. The structure also serves to contrast to the boundless depth of grieving and sorrow that is expressed. A lot of what the book of Lamentations is answering is, What do you do when God seems to have become your enemy? This is exactly what Job faced, right? He felt like God had suddenly become his enemy. And probably a lot of people in this world feel like that now. So how do you deal with that? How do you think about things in the midst of that? And this book provides some of the most beautiful answers. And those answers just so happen to appear right in the center of the book. So let me read those again. Verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And then verse 33, which is right at the heart, the very center of the book. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Now, I said I was going to talk about a translation issue. And that translation issue is verse 33. One of the earliest versions of the ESV had a different translation of verse 33. Let me read it to you. It said though he cause grief he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love verse 33 for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. So let me read again the updated version of the ESV. So they they updated and changed this verse, how it's rendered. So once again, the old version says, he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. And the newer version says, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And I totally agree with this update. I think it's a wise and sound update, and it reflects the Hebrew much better. Because literally, it says in Hebrew, He does not from His heart afflict. And we have this understanding in English. I think, you know, the heart is the seat of the will in Hebrew. So the first translation of the ESV was something that was valid in that sense. But in English, we can say. My heart wasn't in it. We can say that. We have this kind of category to be able to express doing something, but not from the heart. And this is important to have the word heart here, because it not only makes this more understandable to us in English, but it appears in the center of the book, at the heart of the book at the deepest part, the the deepest moment of the book, that we need to see that. We need to see that connection that's intentional. The author was very intentional in that structure. Every single line, every acrostic, every structure was intentional. And I don't think it's an accident that he mentions the heart of God here in verse 33. So Yahweh's heart isn't in it in this affliction, in this horror that's happened. Just as a parent spanking his child, it's necessary for the greater good of both parties, but his heart just isn't in it. The core substance of his heart, then, is steadfast love and faithfulness and mercy, not judgment and wrath. The wrath is necessary to highlight his overwhelming grace, and uh, that's what's in his heart, and what his heart is in. This verse is also very special because there are very few times, actually, if you think about it, that the Bible directly talks about the heart of God. One such rare passage is in Jeremiah 32:40 40 through 41 where he says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant, that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness, here it is, with all my heart and all my soul. So his heart and his soul are full of desire to do good to his people through this new everlasting covenant and also in jeremiah thirty-one twenty, we see more of this heart of mercy where he says is ephraim my dear son is he my darling child for as often as i speak against him i do remember him still therefore my heart yearns for him I will surely have mercy on him, declares Yahweh. Again, in Hosea 11.8, we read, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. So in the heart of darkness, that is the middle of the book of Lamentations, in the heart of darkness, you can find the heart of God. And isn't that what happened at the cross? Today for the recommendation at the end of the podcast, I want to highly highly encourage you to go to Google and type in NPR interview John Piper Tsunami. Back when the tsunami hit in Asia, there was an interview that was done, recorded with John Piper by NPR, and asking him some of the hardest questions in times of crisis. And to this day, I have never heard more beautiful, wise, biblical responses to some of those difficult questions in the midst of a world crying out for answers. So if you haven't already heard that interview, it's only a half an hour long, and I would highly recommend that you do that as soon as you can. Thank you for listening. Here at Working for the Word, we believe that the Bible is a unified, God-breathed, God-centered, hope-giving book, sweeter than honey, and pointing to Jesus. My goal with this podcast is to help us all become more like the man of Psalm 1, treasuring the Bible and going deeper into it.